Well, good morning. It is so good to be here with you guys this morning. In case we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Will Pinnell, and I have the honor of serving here at Mechanicsville Church of Christ, a senior minister, and it is just so good, so good to be in the house of the Lord together this morning. Amen? Amen. Hey, if this is your first time, um, we're just thrilled that you are here to worship with us. If you wouldn't mind taking out your phone real quick and texting the word welcome to this phone number, it's just a great way for us to connect and say Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here. Church Online community, this applies to you too. If this is your first time tuning in, um, we include you in part of our worship, uh, part of our church family here. And uh, we would be honored if you would text that in also. If this is not your first time, we're glad you're back. It's good to see you again in your beautiful smiling faces. Uh, I am so excited this morning. We're starting a brand new sermon series in the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles out, open up to the book of Colossians, because you can take some notes if you have a pen or highlighter. I want you to highlight some things this morning. Um, But before we do, I just want to ask a simple question. How many of you, like me, have a math brain, really enjoy math? There's a couple people brave enough to raise their hand. Some people are shaking their heads. No, okay, okay. Well, I've always really enjoyed math. I always really, really enjoyed math. In fact, when I was in middle school and high school, math just came so easily to me. And I don't say that to brag, it was just the subject that I was best at. English was not. Often Hannah will tell me uh, that it's a good thing that I don't speak for a living or depend on English for a living because I'm so bad at it, and she says that sarcastically. But English was a struggle area of struggle for me. Math was just what I was really good at. And if I if I struggle, if I do my best and I struggle to get a good grade in a subject where it's just not my, my strong point, then I'm glad to get the grade that I got. But in math, because it was usually so easy for me, I got really upset when I ended up with a B in the class. And I'm not here to say that it's someone else's fault and put blame on someone else. But y'all, teachers. And I'm going to be careful. I'm married a teacher. I know we have a lot of teachers out here. I'm going to be very, very careful here. But teachers... Oh, goodness. Something about math teachers and wanting you to show your work. What is up with that? Makes no sense to me. I get it. Okay, okay. They want to make sure that we understand what we're doing and we're not cheating. We understand how it works. And I I get that. It limits mistakes, whatever. But there were so many times that I would look at at a problem and go, okay, here's the answer. And I didn't have to show my work. It just, it just happened and I was able to break it up in my mind and see it and it, it just flowed and I, and I got it, but they'd always take off a point or two because I didn't show my work. I haven't had a math teacher who graded the, the notes that we took in math class and I was like, come on, seriously? I have never taken notes in math class. But I would sit back and, and it's like we have this simple equation that they want us to solve but they want us to take up the entire page of paper and make it seem like we're, we're working for NASA trying to figure out this big space equation to figure out this one little simple, easy problem. And I think that sometimes in our faith, we have the tendency of doing the same thing. We have the tendency of making this simple equation much more complicated than it needs to be. And it's really not that hard but we like to spend the whole page talking about it and writing about it and discussing it and we'll spend hours contemplating what this means and that means and this other thing is and 
we make faith so much more complicated than what it really needs to be. And that's one of the topics that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks as we open up the book of Colossians and we see what Paul has to say to us. Colossians, just to give you a little bit of an overview, because I think it's important to know a little bit about the background of books of the Bible. Colossians was written by a guy by the name of Paul. Now, Paul, if you joined us for our four-chair discipling series that we finished last week, Paul has always been in this fourth chair. He was on fire for God. Talk about somebody who was passionate about the Word of God. From the moment that he could remember, he was in this fourth chair so on fire for God. The problem is, before he was known as Paul, he was Saul. And Saul really loved God, but he didn't believe Jesus was from God. And so his efforts to to grow the faith and to defend God came at the cost of of persecuting Christians and being against Jesus. Until one day he had this experience on the road to Damascus where he saw Jesus. And Jesus said, Paul, or Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? And he was convinced at this moment after this experience that Jesus is God, that Jesus is from God, And it changed everything. He stayed in the fourth chair. He was so passionate about what he believed. But now instead of persecuting the church, he was planting churches. He was telling everyone he could about the gospel and Jesus Christ and what he did in this world, what he did on the cross for our sins. And and he was so on fire for God. Throughout the book of Acts, we see several missionary journeys that Paul went on as he planted churches throughout the region. Now, the, the, the church in Colossae, which this letter is written to from Paul, is not one of the churches that Paul set up. It's near another town that Paul had a big influence, and it's most likely that someone from that town went and, and told people in the city of Colossae about Jesus, and they set up this church. And, and Paul hears about it while he's in prison for preaching the, resurrect, the resurrection of Jesus. And he hears about it by a man by the name of Epaphras. And so he writes this letter to encourage the church in Colossae, and he hears that the church in Colossae is facing some some false teachings, that there's people from the outside who are bringing these these lies in, that there's even some people on the inside who are are preaching all these extra things that you have to do in your faith that, that just aren't true. And so he writes this letter to encourage them and to set the record straight And he writes this letter with really one simple main big idea that he he fleshes out through the entire letter. And that is the supremacy of Christ. Now I firmly believe that this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae applies to us today also. What Solomon said years before even Paul, that there is nothing new under the sun means that the same things that the church in Colossae faced, we face also. And so what Paul has to share with us throughout the course of this letter, I think will be very beneficial for us in our faith also. And I want to start just by the first couple verses in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in, in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, somewhat of a quick side note, I think it's important to, to point out a couple things in this introduction. 
verse. This is a very common introduction if you've read any of other uh, Paul's other letters to the, the church in Ephesus or the church in Corinth, the church in other places that, that he wrote. It's a very common Pauline way of, of starting a letter. But I want you to recognize who he's writing this to, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Sometimes I feel like we have this tendency in the church and amongst brothers and sisters in Christ today to think that what's really wrong with the world is, is the world, what's, what's out there. They, they need to know what this book says. And I don't, I don't disagree. They need to know what this book says. But, but we just think, well, if, if the world would act more Christian, if the world would listen to this letter that Paul sent to the church, but this letter isn't for the world. This letter is for me. This letter is for you. This letter is for the church, for us to grow in our knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ and in our faith. The only way that this world is going to be changed is if we as Christians start acting as Christians and, and become more like Jesus ourselves. And naturally it will flow out into the rest of the world. But it's important that we recognize this. Paul goes on in the first kind of section here to talk about how he's thankful for them, how he's heard about them through Epaphras. And, and we're going to really pick up in verse 9. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, and we're going to focus on this section this morning here. And it says, starting in verse 9, Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption of the forgiveness of our sins. The word of the Lord. There is so much great stuff here. And I wish we had a couple hours to d dive into this, but what I really want to focus on this morning is just a piece of this that I feel is very, very important that we can't miss. In the very beginning here, he says that he has not ceased to pray for us, asking that we may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He wants us to know things about God. He wants us to be filled with the knowledge of who God is, the, the spiritual wisdom and understanding of what it means to be a Christian in this world today with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There is a knowledge that we have to know. I mean, if there are false teachings in the church in Colossae, how better to defend those, to know what, what, they, what they are, how to identify them, how to guard ourselves against, against them than with the knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding from God. But that's not what it says, is it? That's not what Paul actually says. And it, it could be if we skipped three little words. But that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Did you catch that? It's easy to miss. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, there's something about knowledge 
that leads us to thinking that we know things that we don't really know. He's not, ask, he's not praying to God that we be filled with the knowledge of who God is, but with the knowledge of God's will. If we look in other places in Scripture, we see so many places where God's will is really easily laid out. We treat it like this some big mystery, and we've talked about this several times before, that we think God's will for our life is this big, confusing mysterious, what should I do with my life? Who should I marry? What profession should I leave the job? Should we have more kids? Should we not have more kids? Should we adopt? Should we not adopt? All these questions that we we try to find the answers that God has for our lives. And yet scripture is clear. God's will for you is to pursue sanctification. God's will for you is to, to be joyful in all circumstances. God's will for us is to love justice and, and love kindness and to walk humbly with him. God's will is for us to do what he's asked us to do in life. As we go to work, as we are dad, as we are husband and wife and spouse and child and, and parent, is as we do what we do in this world, it is to do it from the core of pursuing Jesus, of our faith. Paul says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. To walk in a way, to live in a way worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to him. That what we do in our lives is honoring to God. Is pleasing to God. He prays that we are filled with knowledge in order to walk, in order to live, in order to go about this life, that we are filled with not the knowledge of who God is, but the knowledge of his will, that we do what is honoring and pleasing to the Lord. And what he continues, I love the way that Paul just lays this out, kind of bullet pointed for us here. And he continues to say that bearing fruit in every good work bearing fruit in every good work. Because I believe that when we, <clears throat> when we are pursuing Jesus the way he's called us to, when we are living life and doing life in the way he has asked us to, then it will bring forth good fruit. Scripture all throughout talks about the fruit of our work, the fruit of our labor, the fruit as evidence of who we are in Christ. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we belong to Christ, though that should be the output, that should be the fruit that people see from our life and from our walk with Christ. So if we are growing in the knowledge of His will, what He hopes that we do in our lives as we go about our lives and growing in all spiritual wisdom and understanding of what that means to live life as he's asked us to in a way that is worthy of him, pleasing to him. That means we are going to bear fruit in every good work. Here it is. And increase in the knowledge of God. See, too many times we just get it backward. We think it starts with the knowledge of of God. Well, if we know God, then we'll know what he expects us to do. But as I saw this, as I studied this and thought about it more this week, <clears throat> I want you to think back to the Old Testament people that you know of. Think back to Moses, Gideon. Think back to Joshua. 
I think back to Moses when God came to him in a burning bush that didn't burn and, and Moses is standing on holy ground and, and God came to him and said, hey, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to free my people. God didn't then just sit down with Moses and say, okay, here's what you need to know about me. You need to know, da-da-da-da-da, and listen it out. But when Moses walked in a way pleasing to the Lord, when he went back, when he was obedient to what God asked him to do, then what we see is him being invited, Moses being invited up on a mountaintop with God, and he experienced and saw God in a way that is so unique and so amazing that we just read about. And it shares with us about who God is, but Moses experienced it firsthand. We read about God splitting the waters for the nation of Israel as Moses led them to come across on dry ground. But Moses, in that moment, after he was faithful, after he lived a life pleasing to the Lord and walked in a way that was according to the will that God asked him to do, as he was doing that once he was obedient to God, then he knew something firsthand about who God is. How he's not going to abandon his people how he's not going to leave him high and dry, how God is so mighty and powerful and can split the sea. And Moses knew that about God firsthand because he knew the will of God. And he walked in a manner worthy of the Lord. We see the same thing with Gideon. God doesn't come to Gideon and say, hey, you need to know these things about me first. But he says, hey, I need you to go take the army of Israel and face the Midianites. And then when he is obedient to the will of God, when he walks in a manner worthy and pleasing to the Lord, he learns something about who God is. And he grows in the knowledge of God. Look, I love this book so much. This book does not tell me what I need to know about who God is. This book tells me how I should live my life and it shows me examples of how God has been faithful time after time after time. It shows me how God has come through for those who have walked according to his will, who have understood what God wanted them to do and, he's wa and they've walked in a way pleasing and honoring to God and how God has come through for them. And I kind of learned from a distance about the nature and character of God. But it's not until I step into the will of God myself that I start to walk in a manner worthy of the, and pleasing toward God that I get to experience who God is and I come to a deeper knowledge and understanding of who God is. There's a difference about reading, reading it from a book and experiencing it myself. I love the quote from evangelist D.L. Moody. He said, every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. He's not talking about some kind of special leather that shoes are made of or used to be made of. But that the word of God that we have with us should be lived out. That we walk in the shoes of what we learn in this book about what God wants for us. And when we do that, when we can walk in a way pleasing and honoring to the Lord, 
we come to a knowledge of who he is that we can't read about from any book. Now, please don't get me wrong. I love what this book contains. I love the word of the Lord. But guys, this is a book made of some fake leather, some ink and pages, ink on pages, And it's precious to me. But what's more precious are the words that it contains. We all have a soul that is eternal. We have a body who will stay here. We have a body that decays over time. We have a body that just will... Not join us in heaven, that will be renewed in a new body when we get to heaven. And in a similar way, the word of the Lord will not fade away, it won't pass away, but this book, this book will fall apart with time. This book will decay. The pages will fade away, and I won't be able to read what they have anymore. But the word of God lasts forever. I love the way that Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says, We know all of us possess knowledge, and this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. God doesn't start with the knowledge because he knows what knowledge of who he is, what that will do to us. It'll puff us up. It'll make us arrogant. It'll make us think that we know something about God that we really can't know. He's so much bigger than this world. He's so much bigger than what the pages in this book can contain. And if we think that we know God for a moment, if we think we know what this book says for a moment about God, we are just fooling ourselves. But love, love builds up. And as we see in scripture, what God really wants from us is to love, to love him, to love others, Jesus boiled down to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And all of our knowledge about who God is, all of our understanding and our spiritual wisdom about this world and how faith works and how religion works and how Christianity works, all all of the knowledge is for nothing if it's not accompanied by love. I'm sure you all have heard 1 Corinthians 13 at a wedding here and there just a time or two. But it's really so much more, so much more than just a wedding verse. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not loved, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so to remove mountains but have not loved, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver my body to be burned but have not loved, I gain nothing. Church, we can have all knowledge, we can have all spiritual gifts, we can have all that this world has to offer, all that this really false Christianity has to offer with a, a spotlight and, and big names and big achievements. and We can have all of that, but if we do not have love, then we've missed what Christ came to do. We've missed the whole point of it all. 
We can know everything there is to know about God. We can know everything there is to know about faith, about the church, about every. But if we have not loved, love is the way that's 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 pleasing to the Lord. Love is the action that that's worthy of the Lord. Love is the shoe-bound leather Bible that goes into this world. It is all about love. And Paul wants the church in Colossae, and he wants us today to make sure that we have things in the right order. That it doesn't start with the knowledge of God. It starts with the knowledge of his will. What's he want us to do as the church? He wants us to love each other. And not just say it, but to show it. If you're married, you know that you can't just say that you love your spouse. You have to show it. If you have kids, you know you can't just say, I love you to your kids. You have to show it. If anyone in here has ever told me that you know I love you, right before they say something that's kind of mean, you know they love you if they've also actually loved you in the past also. If they've actually showed it to you. If they show up when you're hurting. If they, they show up when you're just excited. It's all about love. I think a great comparison for this is actually the Old Testament to the New Testament. Because we see in the Old Testament that God loves his people. That God called the nation of Israel and he loves them deeply. But it's almost like he does it from afar. Hey Israel, I want you to know I'm here for you. I love you. I'm going to move some things. I'm going to do some works. I want you to see that I love you and I care for you. But when Christ came and and God himself stepped into this world, he said, okay, I'm done telling you from a distance and I'm here to show you that I love you and that I care for you. And we have a great insight about who God is from the life of Jesus as he was here and he did miracles and he loved on us so well. But when he went to that cross and he died for our sins and he took our place in death because of our mistakes, that's when he showed it. That's when he walked in a way that was pleasing to the Lord, that was honoring to the Lord. That was the will of the Lord for the life of Jesus. And he said, okay. So church, I ask you this morning, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? Are you pursuing a knowledge of God? Are are you reading your scriptures to see what you can glean from who God is? Are you here to see what you can hear about God? Are you participating in, in a life group or Sunday school class or in a Bible study because you want to know things about who God is? Or do you want to read stories of his faithfulness? And do you want to be encouraged to go live likewise in a way that's honoring and pleasing to the Lord? Because only one of those actually leads to true, real knowledge in who he is. Father God, I am so grateful for the way that you came into this world, not just to tell us that you love us, but to show us. God, I'm thankful for the way that you came into this world not just to show us who you are, not just to tell us who you are, not just to give us some kind of knowledge, 
but to invite us in to a space and to a place where we can really know you. God, sometimes it is so easy in our world today to think that we just have to know who you are. We just get this head knowledge of of what you've done, of how you've done it. It's easy for for people like me who who, who love math and are like processes and, and think more analytically. And God, it's so easy for me to get confused. But God, I just thank you for your grace and your love and your patience as we try to figure this out. Lord, be with us this week as we we try to not just know who you are, but what it means to be filled with the knowledge of your will, to walk in a way worthy and pleasing to you. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.